house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. This is going to sound strange, but there's this family secret that the men in the family can travel in time. This is such a weird joke. It's not a joke. If it's true, which it isn't, although it is. But if it was, which it's not, which it is, how would I actually... You go into a dark place, clench your fists, think of the moment you're going to, and you'll find yourself there. Happy It's going to be a complicated year. It's going to be a complicated life. For me, it was always going to be all about love. I'm Tim. I'm Mary. It's my mother's name. I remind you of your mother. Obviously, I should have thought this through more. Could you give me one second? Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that is incredibly interested in the security of our shit. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my quirky, irrepressible Richard Curtis-style sister, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Hello. Uh, am I the me that you went back in time and stopped me from drinking and having a shitty boyfriend? You'll never know. Or am I the me that is the weirdest character description I've ever heard where like, he says, she's a mom now, a bad one. It's, and it's supposed to be charming. It's so much like if you watch all the other Richard Curtis movies, though, he's always got like a sister who's just like the weirdest one. And like, yeah. that's sort of like, that's the vibe there. I'm sure his real life sister is a fucking trip. Like, that's the, <laughs> my most like fervently held belief about Richard Curtis oh. is that he has like a wild and wacky family. Which is interesting. The actress that... Donald Gleason kisses in New Year's. I swear to God, it was the friend from Fleabag. <gasps> I didn't get to look it up in time. You might be like, right. If that actually. is that actress. Why wasn't she the weird sister? Oh my I'm God. Look it up you right must now be right. Chris, why don't you talk Amazing. to our listeners about their responsibilities still uh, in our upcoming you guys, uh, listener's choice? You guys, you have one more week. To get in your votes for our listeners' choice. It is our Christmas present to you. All of the votes are coming from you guys. One vote per listener. No movies from 2019. Must have been in some type of predictions or actively campaigned conversation for a movie that you want us to cover on our next listener's choice. Uh, again, one more week to submit your votes. You can tweet at us at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz, or you can email us at had Oscar buzz at gmail.com. Uh, and then at the beginning of the month, which will be next week after you guys are listening to this, uh, the top four vote getters, uh, vote getters not a word um the top four movies that have the most votes will be our twitter poll and then that is the final showdown for what the listener's choice will be i say vote getters i decide i i, I declare vote that vote getters is a good enough term for me That's it's fine. already shaking up to uh uh be uh pretty interesting oh yeah like the the submissions list is truly wild and like 
No we movies. We have like 120 movies have have been called out right now. But like nothing is in like, enough of a commanding lead that like your vote matters. Basically, like um, like yeah, yeah. you are a citizen of Georgia right now. Essentially, in our particular <laughs> poll, your vote matters. Get out there and vote once, and we'll all be fine. <laughs> um, Chris, we needed a guest for this episode. Not only we needed a guest for this episode, we needed a guest to compel us to talk about this movie for this episode and we have a tradition to uphold we do uh, a thanksgiving tradition like no other is having <laughs> uh one of our very favorite guests on this podcast she is the co-host of both the fighting in the war room podcast and the little gold men podcasts uh vanity fair zone katie rich welcome back katie Hello. And you know, this year the Masters are happening in November, so many Thanksgiving traditions, unlike any other, happening uh, this <laughs> That's year. That's true. They're happening as we record this, the Masters They're are happening, happening right now. Yeah, the- my I, my hometown uh, is right next to Augusta, which is where I was born, so the Masters have a special place in my heart, even though I know nothing about golf, so... I shouldn't have taken us down this road. You were on last Thanksgiving to talk about, remind our listeners, what was your last uh, appearance here? It was Pan, right? That's it the last one they did. the glorious... Glorious pan. <laughs> it's hard because that feels like it was a really long time ago, which I'm sure is a problem we've all had. We're like last November, like, right? Whoa, right? Wasn't was that like several decades ago? Yeah, back then. And all kinds oh, of crazy uh, that's stuff. the other thing is like all the things that we could do, and it was just like, and we were mere weeks away from like, you know, the the bug making it into onto American shores and whatnot. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, so we knew we wanted to have you back, obviously. You're one of our faves. And we, I, as with last time, we were just like, what do you want to do? And you settled on a film that you know and I know we deeply disagree on. <laughs> this, this is setting up a battle. Like, I knew I was going to just be touching a nerve the minute we picked it. I appreciate that willingness to combat. Obviously, 2020 <laughs> is a contentious year just in general. So, um, yeah, we saw this movie, I don't think together, but like in like we were at the same screening, but we weren't like sitting together at this point. Yeah. We didn't really know each other for very long. We knew each other at this point, but like we had met. So we had met the previous year at the Lincoln premiere at New York. Film yeah. Festival. New York Festival is like really important for then. our friendship. I yeah. know. I know. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so this was 2013. So this has been the, the New York Film Festival a year after. Yes. This was the year that I, like, did all the local film festivals, like, super right. Like, I still hadn't gone to TIFF yet. I've still never, as of currently now, I've never been to Sundance. But that was the year that, like, I worked with Tribeca Film Festival. So I had the, like, A++ pass can go to anything. And I just sort of, like, and my writing responsibilities were, like, write one post today about like whatever you watch. So I just watched every, every odd thing at Tribeca and it was super fun. And then at New York film festival, that was, that was another one where I was just like, I have all this time on my hands. I'm just going to see everything. And like everything was at New York film festival this year. So I want to, I sort of jotted it down and yeah, I didn't know if you were going to make a game out of the New York film festival. Line no, year, so I didn't look if up. I had more time, maybe, but like, no, I just sort of wrote it down. So like, but just like, this we talk about like New York Film Festival sort of not quite in as prestigious terms as like Telluride, Venice, you know, Toronto, obviously Cannes or whatever. But like opening night was Captain Phillips, which like A plus plus. Closing Banger. night was her. 
And the centerpiece was really the only kind of like dud of the major ones, which was the Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which we've done. An we've episode. done an I was about episode to say, on. previous, which I have still never seen. I don't know how I knew to skip it then, but I did. Yeah, it was uh, seeing that movie is the same as not seeing. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the trailer. I <laughs> forget so many times that Shirley MacLaine is in that movie, and then remember again. But so <laughs> other movies at this festival, All Is Lost, which I saw there. Blue is the warmest is color. Is all lost? This oh. is this is the wait 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 wait. Pause for a second. Yes. The most infamous audience Q and A of all time at the New York Film Festival press screening for this. Yes. Where someone popped up and asked Robert Redford at the end of, or maybe JC, whatever. No, asked Robert Redford. No, they weren't fucking around. Yeah. Is all is lost? all lost after like and that's that was the punchline. That was like the chaser. The shot was <laughs> this like rambling eight minute long preface about the environment and film and whether we can affect change and yada yada and then it was leading all up to is all lost and the collective like groan snort like chuckle that like went around (laughs) and like so these q a's happen after the screening and also there's another screening happening later and in the middle of those screenings people have to like figure out whether they're going to get lunch and like maybe like file a story or get some work done or whatever so everybody's already a little antsy at these Q&As and and it's only press like this isn't like random people off the street like college students who can come in and ask a question right, it is right. press, was a press Q&A oh yes, yes. A, York- what who lost their credentials for oh, this oh the new york media course that that's the thing weirdos. is like new york film festival press badges go to like people who are film critics and working in film and whatever. And also though, like everybody who's been grandfathered in throughout the decades or whatever. Although I don't think this person mm-hmm. was particularly old. I think this was like sort of like a young, uh, like with Full something to prove kind of a person. I would but love for this people... person to come forward at some point, by the way. Because the New York Film story. Festival press screenings are always during the day. There's like they screen once for press at like 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. every day. So yep. like you need to have a lot of time on your hands to really cover the New York Film Festival because if you've got a exactly. day job, it's not an option. It's not an option. And that's why it goes on also for like eight years because it just was just like, because the main major films they have to screen on the weekends so that people will be able to come see them and so it goes across like four different weekends or whatever isn't everyone so glad they tuned in for like new york film festival (laughs) you know what honestly they know what they signed up for at this point like y'all i hope like this is the shit that y'all enjoy so uh all is lost process nerds out there for real uh, Blue is the Warmest Color, The Immigrant, the James Gray movie, The Immigrant, Inside Lewin Davis, which Katie, you and I were also at that mm. premiere screening where like that yeah. agitated drunkard or whatever had to get Got like hauled dragged, off. physically dragged out of the lobby Oy. at the end of the movie. Oh, Man, wow. that was a good New York And then when we left Lincoln Center, this is like fancy schmance, Lincoln Center, whatever, when we left in the front and this person had like pants around the ankles in front of like uh, Alice Tully Hall. It was a whole goddamn thing. Um, Le Weekend was at that festival, Roger Michel's Le Weekend, which I didn't see there. I saw at Chicago Film Festival, which I also went to that year because I wow. was experiencing my experience that year. Um, Nebraska, which was ultimately a Best Picture nominee. Only Lovers Left Alive, the Jim Jarmusch vampire movie, which is so good. Stranger by the Lake, which is amazing. They had an out-of-competition screening for 12 Years a Slave because it was just like, it's apparently not enough eventual Best Picture nominees in this. Like, we have to also get um, 12 Years a Slave. Also, one thing I found out as I was researching this, the short film of Whiplash screened at this New York Film Festival a few months before the feature film would would, uh, premiere at Sundance. Yeah. 
because the feature opened like what the next year in January of the next year because wow. it was Sundance. It was a Sundance movie. Yeah. Was this when New York was still doing uh, secret screenings that weren't so secret? Yes, because this was the year that, that they the did. Flight year? No, flight wasn't secret screening. Flight was the same year as Lincoln, which was the secret screening. This yeah, was, Lincoln I think, was the year screen. that it was my. This was the year that my my theory was that it was supposed to be Wolf of Wall Street, and it wasn't ready in time. That's my own personal mm. theory. And they waited and they waited, and I think they ultimately screened. Um, while we're young young? and that was just like and everybody was sort of like deflated because it had no wait no because they screened while we're young after it had screened at tiff so that was the next year i honestly don't remember what the 2013 secret screening was it might have been nothing yeah they might not have done one um because they did hugo and then they did lincoln that that. yeah those were the two that sort of like set the expectation was just like Mm -hmm. they're gonna have secret screenings um i'll have to try and remember what that was but anyway so katie and i saw Richard Curtis's About Time, uh, which is the film we're talking about, as you know, because <laughs> you clicked on your podcast app. Like, you don't. You know like, what you said. You know what for. you Yeah, exactly. Um, and I remember, I don't even think we talked about it much after, but I remember afterwards hearing you. It might have even just been like hearing you talk to somebody else about how much you hated it. And I was just like, oh, I really loved it. Like, and I'm just like, you know, I'm not like still emotional after the the screening. Like, I've been able to like compose myself. But like, I've never been able to watch this movie without like full on like tears coming out of my face crying. Like, it's it's so it's like clockwork every single time. I was started it again last night, two nights ago. Um Watching it, and literally the first opening bars of the Ben Fold song that opens the movie, I immediately start like, and then I had to text our uh, friend and former guest Bobby Finger, who is the person who only person I know who loves this movie more than I do. Um, and I was just like, Bobby, I just started watching About Time, and he just texts me back and he says, "Perfect movie." I was just like, "Thank you." <laughs> um, okay, so you mentioned the Ben Folds. Uh, the luckiest which opens and closes the movie but it's just like a piano score at the beginning of the movie and i was already losing my mind because i couldn't tell if it was the luckiest or if it was an original score ripping off ben (laughs) well he he recorded a version of the song especially for this movie like he had sort of like rearranged that song for richard curtis to do for this we don't know what movie that song was originally written for right no what amy heckerling's loser starring jason get out of here that's wild I think I know that because I had that song off of Napster, so it was labeled as being from the Loser soundtrack. Who's like, the college? Very much of that era. Who's the college professor Mina Savari is dating in that movie? That like I've never Greg seen Kinnear. it. I think it's Greg Kinnear. Greg. I think you're right. I think it is. It Greg makes Kinnear. sense for the era for yeah. being Greg Kinnear. Boy, that is a very era specific. Also, if you watch that, like <laughs> everybody's kind of in that movie too, but it's like that middle level where it's like Jimmy Simpson, Tom Sadowski, like that whole like uh-huh. are all like. Uh, his friends who all hate him and yet he's like it's a weird thing <laughs> that's such a movie that like doesn't quite get the difference between high school and college where it's just like it's a, it's high school where you're friends with people who hate you like in college you sort of figure that shit out and you like manage to like gravitate <laughs> to people you no actually parents. enjoy right exactly like you're no longer compelled to be around the same like handful of people so you generally don't hang around with people who like loathe the sight of you, you quite as much friends. yeah um but so I, a lot of the there's like three songs in this movie that Richard Curtis sort of uses as both song and score because it's that that one. It's um, 
there's gold in them hills the uh now i'm not going to remember the name of the artist but whatever and the cave? There's the well there's cave the nick song. cave song that comes on like later 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 in the movie and then there's that how long will i love you song that um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that the guys in the uh in the subway place right let's not also forget uh the iconic all the things she said by tattoos <laughs> oh, in this movie. No, like the actual the actual needle drops in this movie are also kind of like, like it's like it's very soundtrack forward for sure. <laughs> when tattoo, that song came and then, on, oh, oh, and Mr. Brightside. And Mr. Brightside. And, and then oh, like there's Amy Winehouse eventually in the film. Mm. And like there's a lot of there's it's the best film that knows exactly how to use um Nellie and Kelly Rowland's dilemma. So like <laughs> I already yes. like also um points for that but there's also an also origin- when you're trying to set period specific to the mid-aughts like i'm always going to get bumped up an extra star for that yeah, like, yeah. uh I there is original score nostalgia. by nick laird Klaus, who Klaus clothes um from the dream academy so like it's all very like um you always get the sense that when richard curtis is making a movie that he's sort of trending towards all of his own personal passions which i really do love um but so wait so very briefly before we like really delve into it when we get on the other side of the plot <laughs> like what's i don't want to be like what's your problem with this movie but like what's like what's the like top line beef with this film? well so so first of all i remember at this new york film festival screening walking out of it and standing in the lobby of the walter reed theater and seeing kate urbland who is now an editor at indy wire walking out with tears streaming down <laughs> her face and being like oh no i'm gonna be i'm gonna be the one <laughs> like, I well, just, like, but remember. you're not fully like this was a film that got like decidedly middling reviews like some people liked yeah. some people didn't yeah. most people didn't care I think my like I don't hate this movie, but I it is so up my alley in so many ways that I want better for it. And the main mm-hmm. thing that I get hung up on is that this main character is super horny and he kind of never stops using all of this power he has to get girls or manipulate the women in his life who never know what's going on. And I find that distressing and hard to get over. It's like a original sin of the movie that I never get past as it goes on. I I don't entirely disagree. I do disagree with the idea that he never stops doing that because I think a big part of the movie is by the like, as the movie goes on, he and Rachel McAdams' character, like their life sort of becomes this thing that he no longer wants to change. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of like the thing by the end of it is that he doesn't even go back to even like go and re-experience the days because his father's advice to him is like eventually you go and you live your day once with all the stresses of the world and then you go back and live it again knowing into like basically to smell the roses entirely and then like by the end of the movie he's like i just live each day as if this was that second day so like i think i think that's a that's a good place to end on but that marriage he has in rachel mcadams is built on a lie Yes. It's not you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And her <laughs> that character boring marriage he has with Rachel McAdams. Like there's See, the I disagree with this that. This movie is boring as hell. No, oh. I disagree. I disagree. I think they're so charming. I think the char- like their their chemistry I think is incredibly good. I'm yeah, so the, won the... over by like their vibe with each other and I think it so fits in with the vibe of his family. Like I like this is more of a I love my mom and dad movie. I love my sister and my mom, my my family movie yeah. than necessarily I love my wife or like it it all sort of like blends in together. It's an I love my family it, movie more so than I love this woman yes. movie. Yeah. And that is by far the, the strings of it. I gotta say, Chris, though, that montage where at the very end where he just lets her sleep in over and over again, like, <laughs> mm-hmm, that is the marriage you want. <laughs> that is speaking your language. 
you first saw this movie before you had kids Mm -hmm. and now you have two kids two gorgeous angel children (laughs) um does what does did the experience of watching it change any given how much of the movie is about not it's not about but like there's a lot of the back end of this movie that's them with their kids and them sort of like dealing with you know all that kind of stuff and obviously the big plot crux happens when he realizes that he can't go back earlier than when his yeah. kids were born because of wackily convoluted sci-fi thing that doesn't matter and Richard Curtis would probably agree with you if you said that um yeah. like i don't know did it change for you yeah, no, I think like there are parts of it, you know, the, I mean, again, this is making my 60 second plot description easier where he goes back and like the, there's a different child like that, like hits like a dagger to the heart in a way that I don't think I noticed before I had kids. And um, yeah, yeah, like, I like I think I and, and also the parent stuff, like I feel like I think about my own parents differently than I did before I had kids. Not that we all don't think about our parents more as they get older, but yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely gave it more leeway. And because I think the back half of it is when it gets stronger, even though I'm still mm-hmm. kind of annoyed by it by the time I get there. I think the better version of this movie doesn't have a love story in it because it can really be the movie that like Joe is responding to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it yeah. like removes a lot of those problems. And like for me, like I'm very much uh, on both of your guys' side. I will be Swiss here. <laughs> uh, how I will have my own opinion is that like I got to a certain point with this movie watching it today where I was like, oh, okay, cool. We're wrapping up. This was a nice movie. And then I look at the timestamp and there's still an hour and 20 minutes left in it. And you texted me and had you texted me the most accusatory accusatory. There's 30 minutes left in this movie. And I was like, okay, first of all, rude. But second of all, the last 30 minutes are where it grabs and like yanks your heart out of your chest. Because the last 30 minutes are with all the Bill Nye stuff. But Bill Nye hasn't been in the movie for a good 45 minutes. So you're like, oh, okay, this is what the movie's about again. Oh, it's so much about that, though. But they have, like, four different meet-cutes in this romance that, like, as Katie mentioned, are entirely engineered by him in a way that is creepy. Um, And then, like, once they're actually together, just, like, the the relationship process stuff couldn't have bored me more um it definitely takes away a lot of obstacles like a lot of plot obstacles and in a way that like isn't even about the time travel stuff we're just like yeah they just ultimately end up together and get married and have kids and it's like boom 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 um i am fragile at this stage in november of 2020 (laughs) and i deeply deeply needed again to watch this movie and watch these two gorgeous people who have wonderful chemistry together fall in love without obstacles and like that was fine that was fine with me um wait so before we do get too far into it katie you're right um we're we're seeping out plot we're, we're leaking plot everywhere so um you i gotta get my little phone and get my little oh timer my and i have not prepared like i think the last couple times i've like somewhat prepared for this when i didn't this time so. all right all right. <laughs> this is kind of all right i can keep time i can <laughs> I got it on my quick time. That's all right. I got it. So, Katie Rich, 60 seconds to sum up the plot of About Time and No Fair going back and um, buying yourself more seconds uh, to to refine this. What would I do with these powers? (laughs) Because if you do, then Chris will not be the person we remember. um, uh, But what if he's improved? (laughs) <laughs> How could you improve? Look at that <laughs> you face. Couldn't. You couldn't. Um, all right. So 60 seconds. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. All right. Start. 
Okay, Donald Gleason is Tim. He lives with his family in this fancy man- mansion in Cornwall, even though they say that they are not rich. Uh, after a disastrous New Year's party, he finds out from his father, Bill Nye, that he and all the men in his family have the ability to travel through time. He tries it out first by trying to get with Margaret Robbie, who is his sister's friend. It doesn't work out. He eventually meets Rachel McAdams through this very nice evening, and then he goes back in time to try to help his roommate, Tom Holland, who's great. Uh, but by doing that, he doesn't meet Rachel McAdams anymore, so he has to c- contrive all these ways to meet her by using information that he learned from her in the previous timeline that she doesn't know about. 30 seconds. Eventually, she falls for him, even though he has all this information he shouldn't have. They get together. They get married. Their wedding is a big, rainy disaster, but it's very fun. They have kids. At some point, Bill Nye reenters the picture because you find out that he's getting sick. And then Donald Gleason finds out he can't time travel back to help his sister, who's kind of a disaster because it would change his children. So he realizes that he can't do that. And then they decide to have a third kid after Bill Nye has died. So he can't time travel back to see his dad anymore. He has to say goodbye to his dad. But he learns that he wants to live every day as if he's time traveled back through it and ignore all the bad stuff. And it ends in a happy way appreciating your life. And that's time perfectly timed cannot Katie. believe you did that without did breaking a sweat well, again we d- again we talked about the movie for like 15 minutes before we, <laughs> we did it's true so um <laughs> to chris your point about how and i think you both sort of like that there's a lot of movie before like what the end game of this movie is sort of like mm-hmm. kicks in there's the margot yeah. robbie sort of section of the movie which which i it I spent half of her screen time before I realized. I don't know why I got that she was a cousin. So I was oh. really upset. Oh, because she's just like there <laughs> at the house. Like, well, this is like, so like For they're a all, long time. She's they're there all the whole hanging out in this mansion. And like, and, and I like that it brings it back to you. It's like, my dad just always has time to hang out and do all these things every day. And then like, eventually that's the whole point of it. That's a nice twist. But like, yeah. it's all kind of preposterous the way that they live their lives. But I should say that between this and the Rebecca remake and Ammonite, I have learned what Cornwall is, which is something that <laughs> never clicked for me. I always knew what Cornwall is because I'm a big Tori Amos fan. And eventually at some point in her life, she married a British guy and just moved to Cornwall and like recorded all her albums by the sea in Cornwall. So the really the only thing I knew about Cornwall is that it was uh, near the water, like near the. But near it's the like sea. super far away. Like that's the part that I never. It's like five yeah. hours from London, which is a lot. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like it's it's the whole like setup of them being in their like their giant mansion. Even though Bill Nye is like, I don't know anyone who's happy who's rich. It's like, dude, have you seen your house? They really do sort of like very much file away in the manner that like a lot of time travel movies do, where they're like, all time tra- time travel movies take a scene to be like these are the things we are going to care about time travel in this movie and these are the things that we are not and this movie is just like it's not going to be about getting rich and it's not going to be about doing this or that it's mostly going to be about just like loving your dad and that's going to be like you can't kill hitler right even if you get rich it doesn't really matter that part of it i can feel like the time travel rules of it are okay like i think they do a decent enough job they change the time travel rules though towards the end of the movie because he takes his sister back with him we didn't know that you could take people with that's the thing that happens that is new at that moment time travel oceans 11 rob a bank (laughs) (laughs) and there's a whole part there's a part early on where he's like when i think the first time he's contriving to re-meet rachel mcadams and his sister is there like helping him and like it's unclear she like knows what's happened or like she's just like hey we're gonna come here and help you creep on this woman like it, it's her level of knowledge of it and again the thing that I can never get over in it is that there's all these female characters who are super hot like Margot Robbie or like supposed to be emotionally important and none of them are clued in to what is going on around them that's incredibly significant and I I can't get over that part I agree with that my 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 my, my big agreement with you I think is that like I wish 
Rachel McAdams' character, Rachel McAdams's character, had more agency in this film, yeah. and like it, she really can't because of the plot machination, like because of the central, uh, the time travel thing. Like unless she can time travel, also, she's not. She's never going to be able to know as much and have as much agency yeah. as as him. But I do. The speaking of the Margot Robbie thing, and I thought this was the thing I thought of watching it this time specifically. I like that that section of the film ends with the lesson of you can't time travel somebody who doesn't love you into loving you. Like that's sort of yes. like, and that's like, a, you would think that would be like a real basic lesson, but like, it's a lesson that like a lot of movie characters need, like would do well to learn, not the time travel thing, but like persistence is not a virtue necessarily like persistence and and even with the like the time travel that he ends up doing with rachel mcadams feels more about putting himself in the right place at the right time so that like this opportunity to be with her doesn't pass by him by chance like so that he doesn't meet her too late do you know what i mean that like the first time he really time travels with her is so he can meet her before this guy she's dating and like whatever, mm-hmm. it's still manipulation. It's still machinations. You're both mm-hmm. not wrong, but like, I don't know. I think, and it's partially it's because Richard Curtis seems like to come by all of his sweetness so honestly. Like he never seems like a cynical writer to me, and I think that's his biggest virtue is that like he always seems to be just like, oh, like you really just do like you're this Gaga over like young people in love, and like that's great. He also is smart to. Uh set his movie off on the right foot by casting Donald Gleason, the oh. world's most charming man. Oh. Like oh, he's so cute. So 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 cute. And like the <laughs> only if he doesn't come off creepy to you in this movie and what he is doing, it is because Donald Gleason is uh the um I don't know. How do I what's the comparison for like a Mr. Rogers of romance? Like <laughs> he's just Tom Hanks? Like I mean he played the Winnie <laughs> the Pooh guy in that one in that one film. Uh the oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. the other, the non Ewan McGregor uh Winnie the Pooh movie. He d- oh the um the Peter Rabbit one. No with Margot Robbie. Also Peter Rabbit cover, though, but yeah. goodbye Christopher Robin or but, yeah. goodbye. Well, something. Isn't it- no, who is it who's in the Peter Rabbit animated one where Rose Byrne plays Beatrice Potter? I think it's him, and he plays Mr. McGregor. Yeah, it's him. And there's, yeah, that but movie sucks. The one I'm talking <laughs> about. But they are great. The one I was talking about, though, is uh, Goodbye, Christopher Robin, which is also. Oh, right. We're talking about Winnie the Pooh and Peter the Rabbit. Right, right, right. Um, still, both rabbit forward. Uh, uh, properties um <laughs> so so he's not he doesn't come across as creepy but he comes across as stunted in this way sure like mm-hmm. where the first thing he does with his powers is he goes back to new year's party and kisses this girl who is in fact boo from fleabag I hey we think well yeah. spotted chris yeah. um and he's like great and then he kind of uses that to try to get with marco robbie and he uses that to try to get with rachel mcadams and then he just like he keeps making these dumb social mistakes like when he sees marco robbie again at the ballet or whatever it is and like just trips all over himself and it's like sort of charming but also in a way that's just like don't you know how to talk to a person (laughs) and like that combined like like i just don't think it treats any of its female characters that well so that it counterbalances that like especially vanessa kirby's character which what a delightful surprise to me to realize that was Vanessa. this was the first time i I watched this movie knowing who vanessa kirby was so yeah yeah i definitely know and she's so funny and eclair at the end yes like i just want to see her movie she should be the one allowed to time travel (laughs) oh my god good she would get in so much trouble but like they call her a prostitute like multiple times and don't and like just the shaminess of that i don't love and there's just so little and I, i think love 
actually has some of this problem too, but love actually has enough characters that kind of yeah. balance the weight of it. But it doesn't, it's not fair to them. And I, and I think, mm-hmm. I don't think Richard Curtis is cynical, but he's just super male and it can't get past that worldview, including this Donald Gleason character just being like this bumbling idiot who's super charming, but like, yeah. like learn, learn to read a room. <laughs> Even like Lindsay Duncan, her most standalone moment is her saying, I can't live without your father, which, like, Lindsay Duncan rules. And, like, I like that moment of itself, but, like, the mom doesn't really have anything to say. No, she really doesn't. Other than her life is defined by her husband. Okay, I'm gonna, like, very slightly correct you, though, because I think the, the wording in that line matters, and the wording of that line is, I'm so thoroughly uninterested in a life without your father, which I think changes it enough. Where it's just like, it's still, it's It's a great line. It's more, that becomes more about her than it is about him. I also feel like, I think he writes that family really wonderfully. For as quirky as Kit Kat is and whatever and what a disaster he is, like, he writes families like that really well. And in this one specifically. And like, I don't, this, we talked about, Two weeks ago, Chris, when we did our Solaris episode about like what comes first, the chicken or the egg when it comes to Jeremy Davies. Like, do you write a squirrely character and then cast Jeremy Davies or do you cast Jeremy Davies and thus your character is squirrely? I my that's my same thing with Bill Nye and uh, Lindsay I was Duncan. Say, do you write the cardigan first or, do you <laughs> well, or just like Nye? do you write the like bone dry humor first or do you like or does that come from because like it's such perfect casting the way that they are both that same level of just like absolute dryness but also endearing and you like it's it's i'm it's this very british thing i'm sure and whatever stiff upper lip yada yada but like keep calm and you know have a bonfire at the beach or whatever um but they're so perfect and she's like Lindsay duncan is so perfect in this and this was the same fall that she was in the weekend the aforementioned the weekend which i'm going to keep mentioning until people watch it because it's great was this the same year as birdman no birdman's the next year year. birdman's the next year yes birdman which like takes Lindsay duncan and does her so wrong and makes her the gorgon movie critic who ruins everything or whatever (laughs) and but like but in that movie in the weekend it's her and jim broadbent and again it's just like she's and that's a movie that's more like about her obviously um but it's just this like absolutely it's not icy like it's there's a difference between her dryness and being like icy or closed off like she's a person like she's a person you feel like you know but she's just like absolutely uh you could see why uh, Rachel McAdams would be intimidated by her. And yet, like, once she gets to know her, like, absolutely loves her. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about Richard Curtis sort of, like, as a entity. He, I believe his only Oscar nomination, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, is Four Weddings and a Funeral screenplay, screenplay nomination. for Four Weddings and a Funeral. Four Weddings and a Funeral, which I didn't remember as being only nominated for best picture and best original screenplay but that is wild to me yep yep yeah it was it was kind of a surprise it, nominee that year and the thing about richard curtis that i think is so interesting is i think if you asked somebody without looking at imdb how many films he's directed they would probably name like five or six movies and really He's it's yeah, it's this it's love actually. And it's pirate radio and everything else is stuff where he's written the screenplay and other people have directed, but he's one of those writers where 
And Aaron Sorkin is sort of like this, although, like, Aaron Sorkin's movies also got directed by um, people. Well, in, like, Fincher's case, where it's just, like, Fincher really, like, wrestles for control of that movie as well, of Social Network. But, like, I'm thinking of, like, A Few Good Men, American President, which, to me, Mm -hmm. are Aaron Sorkin movies, even though they're both directed by Rob Reiner. I think... Richard Curtis is the same way. We're like, you don't think of Four Weddings and a Funeral as a Mike Newell movie. You think of it as a Richard Curtis movie. You don't think of Notting Hill as a Roger Michelle movie. You think of that as a Richard Curtis movie. And he's, I think it's almost like um, David Mamet-ish. Although David Mamet also has like the whole like stage aspect to his career or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like he's yeah. the signature guy on his stuff and he's managed to make this really strong brand out of quirky dialogue forward, really well cast uh, British comedies. I completely forgot he has a writing credit on Mamma Mia. Here we go again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Story credit. Yes. Well, well, yeah. Here's the thing though. Richard Curtis though, a lot of his writing credits and probably uh, to like your point, Joe, it's a, maybe a little bit outsized that we uh, think of things as Richard Curtis entities because he's a co-writer on a lot of these movies or like did a script polish on it or, you know. I had totally forgot like, that he. Uh, Bridget Jones and Warhorse. Warhorse. Yeah. That's the thing. I was just like, I was, I was, I did not realize that he had. Uh, a script credit on Warhorse. But yeah, like he adapted the first two Bridget Jones movies. And also I had no idea till I was looking up stuff for this episode that he essentially made his career side by side with Rowan Atkinson in doing um, Blackadder Black and then yeah. Mr. Bean. And that like, <laughs> that like Mr. Bean was sort of his like entry into uh, everything else. He also did that Don French show, The Vicar of Dibley, which is not a show I watched, but I know the title of because the title is so um, the title unique is so sounding. Funny. Um, it is such a 30 Rock joke of a British Oh, series. absolutely. Well, that's the other thing. It's just like <laughs> he's created this kind of archetype that like the Michael Sheen character in 30 Rock sort of feeds into, right? Where it's just like this, yeah. and that Hugh Grant kind of created too with Four Weddings, but like them together, this sort yeah. of stammering and uh, floppy-haired and adorable. And uh, Donald Gleeson like fully fits into that yes. archetype in this film. But like, where do you two, where do you two come out on the Richard Curtis thing in terms of like, how do you feel about his stuff? I haven't seen Pirate Radio. I just watched it. Today. Should see Pirate Radio because I probably would like it. This is the first like Richard Curtis property thing that I would actually ascribe to Richard Curtis that I watched that I didn't care for. Uh-huh. Um, because like to your point of what the Richard Curtis brand is, it's just like it's charming. It's emotionally satisfying, even if people are crazy like love actually yeah um so like it's hard not to be satisfied by it he has like a very he knows what like is going to stir people's emotions he knows what's like cozy to watch um this one just didn't work for me yeah, I feel like... All right, if, Switzerland, if, with you being like, I'm going to be totally in the middle of you. And now, 40 minutes in, you hate this movie. Okay, all right. I don't hate okay. the movie. Okay, all right. When it works, it works. And, like, you're right that, like, the family stuff really works. It's just, like... Uh, 
It's, and yeah. it's true of love, actually, too. Like, when love actually works, it works. But, like, it, like, mm-hmm. almost, like, sledgehammers you into submission by the end of it. There are and, full like, plots I, of love, actually, that I hate. And I still love that movie. Like, there's no... Yeah. The mathematics of it don't work out. But, like, it's fine. Well, but, but also with love, actually, like, it all... It doesn't add up together. Like, it all is separate enough that it doesn't compound. Yeah. Whatever. I'm not good at math. Um, <laughs> and, I like, if I had seen love, actually, when I was... 30 instead of 22 or whatever the math is like maybe I wouldn't have like maybe I would have seen through it more the way that I did with about time but like I'm here for love actually I haven't seen Four Weddings and a Funeral since I was like a kid like oh, it was one so of those good. like grown up movies that I wasn't old enough for when it came out and like like absorbed in other ways watch um, that movie and then be as over the top in love with Kristen Scott Thomas as you've ever been in yes, your whole life like she's I was going to say she's so good I'm like, like never not best. over the top in love with Kristen well, Scott well like Thomas. get ready to like bag, go into God. overdrive because it's she, truly something she's like the secret sauce of that movie that makes it work to me 100% yeah. Simon Callow as well I think but yes um, she's fantastic in that movie um, wait, where was I going to go with this? Richard Curse. Oh, Pirate Radio. You know what movie ends exactly like <laughs> Dunkirk does? Pirate Radio. I was fully not prepared for that. Like, there's a point in Pirate Radio with, where you're just like... With Harry Styles reading a newspaper on a train? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't think so, but yeah, no, but like, there was a point in Pirate Radio where I'm like, are they going to kill all of them? Like, are they all going to drown at sea? And then just... uh you know, happy ending, of course, because it's a Richard Curtis thing. But um, and that is a movie, boy. If you feel like about time was all about the needle drops, like Pirate Radio, as its name would sort of like write itself a permission slip for, is just like every three seconds, it's another like classic rock song from like my dad's bin of records that he sold at a garage sale and never got over. <laughs> and um, uh, it was the whole thing. It's it's not not a bad movie, but you get why that one was like the first the sort of like Richard Curtis failure. Cause I think like even in Britain, Mm -hmm. like um, in Britain, his movies were like blockbusters. That's the other thing is I was, I wrote this down as I was looking this up too, where like four weddings and a funeral became the top grossing uh, film in Britain in history. And then Notting Hill surpassed it like the Mm -hmm. next time out. So like clearly like, for a time, at least, they were all sort of super gaga for it. Um, Richard Curtis, I knew what he was doing. Yeah. So back to Donald Gleason for a second, who I think we all agree <laughs> is like rumpled perfection in this film. And yeah. like has become for me this, I've told you both about how like my fantasy is to at some point write a Richard Curtis style rom-com where it's Donald Gleason and James McAvoy falling in love. And Oh yeah. I, part yeah, of that's, I, I, I'm here for that. I want part of that is just sort of just like fan fiction come to life. And yet like, I want it, but like, <laughs> what's the height difference between them though? I feel like I worry it would be very large. James McAvoy does seem like he would be it, short, right? Very tiny. Emotionally speaking, Donald Gleason is not tall. He Although, is actually tall. But emotionally speaking, <laughs> like he is a good six inches taller than me, and I still want to pat him on the head. Oh, like, I don't know about that. I feel like he has emotional I height. turned the corner at Toronto last time we were in Toronto, uh, and uh, James McAvoy and his lady companion were walking about half a block ahead of me. So I he didn't seem too per- especially short then. So... Okay. I'll All right. I'll give him that benefit. All right, I'll allow this rom-com. But the thing with Donald Gleason is to me like he's uh there's this archetype of this sort of pale, wispy, sort of like rumpled-haired British 
guy who's like sort of having a moment in this current decade. And I think like I think about him and Ben Wishaw a lot because mm-hmm. I feel like my like like crushes on them are both very similar. Ben so, Wishaw is too tiny to be in a rom com with Donald Gleason. I'm just gonna lay They're that, both that, very he, they're he, too similar. You really need like to have some twig. contrast. So the last time, Katie, that you were on this podcast, I made a game out of um Oh, Who did no. it start with? It was Charlie Hunnam and <laughs> Garrett Hedlund. And Garrett Hedlund about the similarities Garrett between them and the interchangeability. <laughs> it <got to> Courtney, <laughs> right? It got to. Uh, it was a whole uh, thing. And Sam so Worthington. I'm 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 going back to basics. One of the finest here. moments of this podcast. <laughs> I'm going back to basics. I'm just. It's just now. Donald Gleason and Ben Wishaw are like the archetype. And I'm going to read you guys. You're going to take turns. And I'm going to give you the names of their characters and the short description of them in the movie. And then you tell me if I'm talking about a Donald Gleason character or a Ben Wishaw character, okay? Okay. All right. Who would like to go first? Katie, you're our guest. You should go first. All right. I'll go first. Okay. So, again, Donald Gleason or Ben Wishaw. Starting off as Constantine Levin, a chaste landowner in Anna Karenina. Oh, that's definitely Donald Gleason. That's definitely Donald uh, Gleason. Although Ben Wishaw could have done it. Oh, at like, hence my point. This is this is the point. Yeah. Um, but Donald Gleason's so good in that movie. Okay. Oh, so good. Chris as Henrik, a romantic interest in the Danish girl. Uh, that would be Wishaw. That is Ben Wishaw. All right, Katie as Andrew, an ill-fated fur trapper in The Revenant. Oh, that's Donald Gleason. That is Donald Gleason. I don't think Ben Wishaw could have survived that. (laughs) Well, Donald Gleason didn't survive that movie either, spoiler alert. Um, Well, I didn't remember that part. Yeah, I think, doesn't like Tom Hardy, like, go out into the woods and kill him because he figured it out? I literally don't remember if anyone survived The Revenant now. Yeah, well, I don't think. Leo got his Oscar. All right. Uh, Chris, as Thomas McGregor, an uptight Londoner terrorized by a bunny in Peter Rabbit. (laughs) (laughs) That would be uh, Mr. Donald. That's Donald Gleason. We talked about that. Okay. Katie, as John, a lovelorn man with a limp in The Lobster. Oh, that's Ben Wishaw. That's Ben Wishaw. Chris, you guys are killing this. Chris, as Phil, one of the other plane crash survivors in Unbroken. That would be Donald Gleason. That is Donald Gleason. Katie, as Herman Melville in In the Heart of the Sea. Ooh. Oh, that I don't know. Did you see this movie? No, I did not. All I'm right. going to guess Ben Wishaw. He that is good guessing. That is Ben Wishaw. All right. Chris, as a long-surviving polio uh, uh, sufferer in Breathe. Uh, that would be... Uh... That's Andrew Garfield. That is Andrew Garfield, because now we're playing <laughs> Donald Gleason or Ben Wishaw or Andrew Garfield. Very well done, Chris. All right. Katie. I saw that movie. Directed by You're the one Andrew person Andrew who saw that movie. Circus. I did red carpet interviews for that movie. Wow. And All right. Mm. Okay. As Katie, as Lord Sebastian Flight, a wealthy aristocrat in Brideshead Revisited. I know. Oh. Is that Ben Wishaw? That is Ben Wishaw. All right. All right. Chris, as Rodney, a townie who befriends the trio of Halsham students after they leave the school in Never Let Me Go. That is Andrew Garfield. No, Andrew no, Garfield no, no. is one of the students. <laughs> That's not it's Donald Gleason. You didn't say no in time before I, I caught myself. You were wrong <laughs> first, Chris. First strike, first strike goes to Chris. All right. Damn it. Hot clone couple, Donald Gleason and, <laughs> and Andrea Riseborough. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Katie, as Francis Weston accused of committing adultery with Anne Boleyn in The Other Boleyn Girl. 
Oh, shit. I do not know. I'm going to, I'm going to guess, uh, I'm going to guess Donald Gleason. It's Andrew Garfield. Uh-huh. Everybody wow, is in the other then. Boleyn girl. That's the thing. Man, about like I saw that movie, but I didn't know who Andrew Garfield was. Yeah. All right. Uh, Chris, as Monty Schaefer, a CIA handler in American Made. Oh. Uh, oh, that's Donald Gleason. It is Donald Gleason. Very good. Katie, as John, an aspiring songwriter who ends up performing in a weird band in Frank. Oh, that's Donald Gleason. That is Donald Gleason. Chris, as Sydney, a feckless little wannabe gangster in Layer Cake. Uh, Matthew Vaughn's Layer Cake. That's Ben Wishaw. Very good. Wow. That would have been really early for him. Katie, as R, a romance-inclined zombie in Warm Bodies. Ooh. (laughs) I know Nicholas Holt's in Warm Bodies. I'm going to guess Andrew Garfield. Nope, it's Nicholas Holt, because now it's Donald Gleason or Ben Wishaw, <laughs> or Andrew Garfield, or Nicholas Holt. Chris. Oh, Nicholas Holt, my darling boy. I know. God, we love him. <laughs> As a spirit who aids Helen Mirren's Prospera in The Tempest. This is for Chris. That is Ben Wishaw. That is Ben Wishaw. He's a scary, scary ghost. Um, Katie, as Anton, a traveling theater performer in the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Woof. I think that's Andrew Garfield. It is Andrew Garfield. All right. Chris, as the enigmatic Nikola Tesla in The Current War. Uh, that is Nicholas Holt. That's Nicholas Holt. He's so good in that part. He is. He's the best part of that whole movie. Exist. That's who the movie <laughs> should be about. All right. I know. Katie, as Sonny, the husband of a suffragette in Suffragette. <laughs> L-O-L-O-L. I have no idea. Nicholas Holt. Ben Wishaw. Oh. All right, Chris, as J.D. Salinger in the biopic Rebel in the Rye. Oh, shit. Um, uh, 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 ben Wishaw? Nicholas Holt. That's Nicholas oh. Holt. Nicholas Holt, okay. Yeah, no, no twist. I knew that as a thing that existed, but I uh, did not see that. Katie, as Arthur Rimbo in I'm Not There. Oh, that's Ben Wishaw. It is Ben Wishaw. Very good. Yes. Uh, Chris, as Arthur Kipps, a young lawyer in a haunted house in The Woman in Black. That's Daniel Radcliffe. That's Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> Donald Gleeson or Ben Wishaw or Andrew Garfield or Nicholas Holt or Daniel Radcliffe. You guys both did amazingly. <laughs> Katie, I'm ashamed at how well we did. I know. Actually, no, I'm not. Like, I knew our, I wasn't like, going to be able to pull the wool over your eyes like the last time. But you our guys beefy did very American well. hunks were not so good on our like weedy. <laughs> I know. That also boys. is perfect. That you're like, yes, exactly. Pale British uh, rumple hairs. Yes. Yes, please. <laughs> I and think uh, we can dub this game into Distinguishable white men. <laughs> it's the name of the game. There's so many of them. Uh, it's true, though. God, I love them, though. Um, Wait, we before talk- we get off a of, oh, No, go ahead. Before we get off a of Donald Gleason, did any of you guys watch Run, the HBO series? I did. I watched all of it. I watched it all the way through, and it it truly has a, a midpoint twist in the series that kills the show yep literally he, absolutely like, true the the first episodes of it were so exactly what i have wanted for donald gleason because it's like sexy mm-hmm. and he's like handsome and weird and you're like oh my god like did i manifest this in my brain yep. and then the show just also falls apart so thoroughly it's so amtrak focused which is like speaking to me like only joe biden loves amtrak more than me <laughs> at this point so like i like i loved all of that it was very amtrak specific and i loved it and the chemistry between the two of them was fantastic but 
Chris is absolutely right. That reaches that point where it's just like, why would you make this show when you were doing so well with that show? Like, what the I fuck? Know. Why is it all of a sudden like, about give what? Give me before sunrise. That show, pretend that that is all it yeah. is. And, and because of the stuff, like the place where they bring those two characters at the un- end point, I'm like, if you would have had this beginning build to this end just from them as like a romantic, like dramedy on a train like this would have been great like you could have gotten yeah. there without all this like all of a sudden it turned into fargo for three episodes uh-huh. and i was just like what the fuck is going on here it's so weird. i love phoebe waller bridge as much as anybody but like the show didn't need her to show up as like lit- like you know a marge gunderson type with you an know. american accent yeah oh, i was i was yeah. really disappointed by it but you're right like that's what you want for donald gleason like that's the yeah. kind of role <sighs> also he usually plays these like man children in about time he plays as young as 21 mm-hmm. when he was like 30 at the time 30 ish yeah. and in run he's like nearing 40 and it's like and he's allowed to be somebody who is nearly 40 right. rather than i am right. perpetually 30 years old right yeah. and it was even more sexy than normal I, oh yeah although how old was general hux like spiritually he's okay like i was about to pivot <laughs> to general hux for sure general hux is spiritually 12 years old <laughs> <laughs> on the like in the cast rankings for the new star wars movies how high up does Holt or does Holt? So now I'm doing it. How high up does Donald Gleason go in terms of like the best performances in those films? Like the best cast member. I think in those it's films. high. I think he's I think it's really high. He's movies. like top three easy for me. This is where I confess I never saw the third one. You're fine. I, there's <laughs> actually I, pretend it didn't happen. I don't remember thing, even though. what he does in that movie. Okay, so I was just like, I, I don't really remember what he did in the second one that well either. Um, it's more but, of the same, but it's so good. It's just so yeah, I like know, I think he's wonderful in those movies, and like his whole relationship with Adam Driver, like you just yes, want really a whole spinoff about them like jockeying yes. for attention from yes. the big boss. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, that's what I want. Um. I want to talk about Bill Nye a little bit because he's sort of the closest that this movie came to Oscar buzz. And, and he had, he, I think he came even closer with love actually. And I think, Mm. I think a lot of people would maybe look back and feel like that might've been like a really cool Oscar nomination. That was 20 or 2003. Tim Robbins won for mystic river for what I think is a really bad performance. Um, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head the other nominees. Benicio Del Toro for 21 Grams, Ken Watanabe for The Last Samurai, which I love Ken Watanabe, but like The Last Samurai is a bad movie. And Alec Baldwin for The Cooler, which right. like I feel like the critics were really, uh-huh. really behind that. And like, that's fine. That was before we knew we were going to give Alec Baldwin like eight Emmys. Jaiman Hansu for In America was like the big surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jaiman Hansu gets the surprise nomination. Peter Sarsgaard was snubbed for Shattered Glass. But like Bill Nye was sort of up in that conversation too for at least a little while because his his character in Lo- in Love Actually is like the showiest, I think. Mm-hmm. Like it's basically him and Emma Thompson, right? Emma Thompson who well, was yeah. that was kind of, he was kind of the discovery of that movie even though there was the rocker movie before that, Still Crazy, that I think was like the first movie yeah. through. Right. 
Um, but like but only like, people in Britain really saw that movie. Like that wasn't right. really across, even though it was a Golden Globe nominee and whatnot. But like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, he was this no, discovery like at like however old he was. The discovery of that movie. Yeah, yeah. He's so fun. He's so like. It's amazing to me because to me it's always just like oh I love Bill Nye and whatever he does, but like he really does manage to play an interesting cross section of characters. If I feel like my like three favorite Bill Nye performances are About Time, Love Actually, and then Pride, which of course Chris and oh. I can't get through oh. a Bill Nye episode without talking about Pride. <laughs> but like, have you guys done a Pride episode? No, we no. should. I don't know if it ever really had real Oscar buzz, but like we'll cheat for that one because it's so wonderful. Oh, I mean, listeners, so if listeners want it, they can vote. For That's it true, for listeners. Uh, um, but it's three very different characters, I think, when you talk about Absolutely. those three roles. Even though, like, yeah. the general vibe is just like, oh, don't you just love Bill Nye? <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but it's just like he's got a lot of range within, I think, having a sort of core uh, vibe that he keeps in everything that he does. Even when he is uh, covered in CGI as a squid man. <laughs> stop bringing up bill nye in the pirates of the caribbean movies chris so we have our little categories games which we've talked about a little bit but like every single time there is an excuse to bring up bill nye in the pirates of the caribbean movies chris will find a way and i am like gotta get those points baby biologically <laughs> unable to retain any information about those movies past the first one even though i loved that first one so much yeah I but like like Penelope Cruz gets in them eventually, and Javier Bardem, Javier Bardem in separate yeah, movies. Were they in the same movies. ones? No, like <laughs> you would think, but no, they are not. God, think of how long their family spent to and fro Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Like collectively, that would be their actually had to be there so much. Forget about this conversation. By the time you're on this podcast next time katie because that's absolutely the next game where i'm just going to give you names of actors and you're going to tell me whether they were or were not in parts of the caribbean movies and you're just not going to know it's just going to be like was, okay because the fifth one which i didn't see but they were like okay we can't get kira knightley and orlando bloom in these movies anymore we have to have a new love story wasn't it like was it Jackson the girl from Skins? Bone or someone? No. But wasn't it the girl from Skins who was in the um, Maze Kayla Runner Scaladario, movies? Yeah, wasn't it? Who was in the Wuthering Heights movie that was so good? Maybe. Wasn't it Wuthering Heights? I could be totally wrong about her being in Pirates, but like it could... I like, think, no, I think you're right. Kayla Scaladario, Kaya Scaladario. If I told you that like Cara Delevingne was like a water sprite in that film, like you wouldn't know that I'm lying. <laughs> but like... Um, wait, Chris, can I do a mini game and not have you guess who the boy was who they recast uh, Orlando Bloom <laughs> okay. with? If I just tell um, you. It's what, somebody like honestly, that. It's somebody yeah, it's who I have I never even know seen them in a movie I tr- before. I think I might know it. I, what What do you think? My is? guess is Brenton Thwaites. Yes. Yes. Thwaites. yes. Okay. I was going to give you other movies he's been in, but like it's like Gods of Egypt and The Giver. Like none of that. Is <laughs> he's in Oculus, which is actually Thwaites. a really good movie, although not because of him. But um, it's him and what's her face who plays Nebula in the Avengers movies. Oh, Karen Gillan. Karen Gillan. And like she's really good. Oh, Mike Flanagan. Oh, yeah. Who, uh, of he of Dr. Sleep. It's yeah, it's it's uh he did that before he did um Gerald's Game and Hush, which were the two Netflix movies that I really, really loved. Um yeah. Oculus. Worth seeing, not necessarily a Brenton Thwaites joint, but like 
Uh, he is he is a main <laughs> character. Anyone is going to see things for Brendan Bates. Um, one one other Bill Nye question: Has any have either of you guys ever seen Gideon's Daughter, which won him and Emily Blunt Golden Globe? No, but I absolutely I remember know. that he. Uh, you remember that? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it, it was like right after Divorce Prada, I think, for Emily Blunt. So it was just like, oh, here she is for this thing I've never heard of. Before. Also, he was Globe. in an HBO TV movie called The Girl in the Cafe that Richard Curtis wrote. That won right. an Emmy for Kelly McDonald. It was him and Kelly McDonald who are right. like, they both like work for the UN or are, have something to do with like a G8 summit. And it's sort yeah. of like. How does the cafe come in? They're, Cause they're like, the they're, cafe that's where they like. The UN? <laughs> no, they're like literally like on a break from like uh, summit meetings and they <laughs> Solving like. Solving world problems. And essentially, yes. That's essentially yes. But also like, I think falling in love or like one of those like. Um, Lost in translation type things where it's just like maybe they don't like love each other, but like there's a vibe there. I don't know. I've never seen so it. So Lost but... in Translation meets Nicole Kidman's The Interpreter. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. Who doesn't want that log line uh, in their <laughs> lives for sure? It's so weird that Gideon's Daughter is still the only Golden Globe Emily Bunn has. Like the queen of the Golden Globes. No, she's, I thought. Oh, no, she's been nominated for a bunch. She's but been that's nominated the only, a bunch of times. That's because, like, the Golden Globes famously, like, loved her way, way better than, uh, obviously, the Oscars ever did. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I guess that would be because that was the same year she was nominated for Devil Wears Prada, I'm pretty sure, was Gideon's right. Daughter. Yep. Yeah, it was. Because um, the Golden Globes do love the double nominees. They do. Chris, we've talked about this particular year at the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards a lot. Hell. So I want to, like, steer this to Katie, because <laughs> Katie hasn't tread this ground as much as we have. Because we've literally talked about this when we talked about um, Enough Said. We did an episode on, on Enough Said, and Julia Louis-Dreyfus nominated. We did an episode That's on an excellent AARP The Way Way Back, which won, uh, at least it won uh, Best Comedy at this. But, um... About Time is nominated for two AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards. So, Katie, it was nominated for Best Screenplay, uh, screenwriter Richard Curtis. Do you want to take a guess as to the 2013 movies, one of which was a Best Picture nominee that year, oh, that you and I saw together at a screening? Oh, oh boy. <laughs> And we walked out American and I Hustle? think, yes, it's American Hustle. Good memory. Very good. <laughs> that we both walked out and we were I just re- like, what the fuck was that? I remember because that was right after I started at Vanity Fair, like the week of yeah. or something like that. And I was like hustling to get to that screening room, like in the rain. And It, it was. was like, I remember it raining. Yeah, very, very good. Uh, yeah. Th- that's that's a solid movie for Grown Ups nominee. Uh, one of them was an aforementioned New York Film Festival screening that we were at the same one uh, at Alice Tully Hall. We just told the whole was story it about it. All is lost? No. We just told a story about somebody getting uh, escorted out. Oh, Inside Lewin Davis? Inside Lewin Davis. (laughs) Movies are Grown Ups nominee. That's weird. Uh, One of them was, uh, I just mentioned it, was a This Had Oscar Buzz movie with a female writer-director. Oh, enough said. Enough said. But the winner was an Oscar nominee for screenplay that year, I'm pretty sure, was the third in a trilogy. Quality choice. Oh, Before Midnight? Before Midnight. Oh, what a great choice. Yep. That's a good lineup. It's a, a very lineup. good lineup. It's a good, like, this was a year where, like, there were a lot of really good options in the awards conversation. And this is why. team was yeah. a good year. This is why we get so mad about Tom Hanks getting left out for Captain Phillips. Because there were, like, mm-hmm. ten really strong contenders for Best Actor that year. And he shouldn't have been left off. Like, there are people who got nominated, Christian Bale and American Hustle, who shouldn't <laughs> have been nominated. But, like, it was a really strong year. 
I mean, we talked about Castaway a couple weeks ago on The Little Gold Men, which I assume anyone listening to this has listened to that crossover episode because it was so fun. But yeah, ever since then, I've, I've been stewing over Captain Phillips anew. Like, I can't, I'm never going to get over it. I, I went know. back and watched that scene, which if you've seen Captain Phillips, oh. you know what scene I'm talking about. I watched oh. it again, and I still just really can't wrap my brain around what Tom Hanks does in that scene. It is like... I don't know. I don't res- I don't respond to movies very often where I like start crying before I realize what's happening to me. But right. that movie's one of those things where you're like, oh God. Like, <laughs> and that's what's I'm happening to him in that scene too. I know. Like that's the amazing and because part it's of it. Tom Hanks and what you've been through. Yeah. Like, I guess the Matthew McConaughey win really has aged poorly. Like we all know that Jared yeah. Leto win has aged poorly. And I think Matthew McConaughey's reputation is more intact and he was like on such a run going up to this. Yeah. Um, but like when you go back and look at that, it's it's a bummer. Everything, everything would be better if he had just been nominated and won for Magic Mike. Yep. Like nothing would As be we worse because Christ- Magic Mike episode. <laughs> Christoph Waltz already would still have the Oscar oh, for yeah. uh, Inglorious Bastards. He didn't need the second one. We really didn't need yeah. to give Christoph Waltz a second Academy Award. So like nothing bad and all this good would have happened. And then and Leo, then, and Leo would have won. I think Leo would have won for Wolf of Wall Street, and then. It leaves, we've, (laughs) I've done this game before where like, then it leaves this like void in 2015 that I can never quite find a great storyline for who wins instead. So I always default to Matt Damon winning for the Martian, which is like fine. I I think unfortunately, okay, because it was Leo, uh, Matt Damon, Brian Cranston, uh, Eddie Redmayne, who am I forgetting? Michael Fassbender, Michael Fassbender, who would have been my vote for Steve Jobs. Uh, that would have been my vote, too. But I think, unfortunately, what you have done, instead of Christoph Waltz having two Oscars, Eddie Redmayne probably no, has two Oscars. No. Oh, I don't yeah, think Eddie Redmayne no. would have won for The Danish Girl. I don't think he would have. But I think lived. Leo might have won twice. That was the next year. You think Eddie Redmayne was going to win two in a row? Maybe. I think it's more likely that Leo wins two or... That like the Brian Cranston train starts a running and no oh. one can get away from it. And I don't know. Everyone's man. dead on the tracks from Trumbo. You guys, you Wait. know what we're doing with this uh, speculative uh, Oscar theorizing? What are we, we doing? We are traveling time. We are changing. <gasps> we history. are. We are changing I history. You were saying, we are. I thought uh, you were saying we're going to have a spinoff podcast, uh, <laughs> just a speculative Oscar history. <laughs> I don't know how you could have a beginning, middle, and end of a podcast like that. It would just be, okay, Joe and I are going to record for a solid 24 hours, and we'll chunk that out into... (laughs) Uh, I want to put a pin in AARP and go back to Bill Nye's nomination, but, like, you mentioned the time travel, and I want to sort of... Because, like, A, like, Richard Curtis has said in interviews, he did an interview with uh, our aforementioned good friend Bobby Finger for Vulture, which was, like, fantastic at the time, made me cry. Um... He talked about how just, like, I didn't really make a time travel. Like, I made a time travel movie, but, like, the time travel was not really important to me. And, like, you can tell. And, like, it's not really important to me either. But, like, there are portions of this that fully, like, that do really jump the track. And the one was the moment where, Chris, you texted me and you were just like, I didn't realize that sperm was going to be a whole, like, important plot point in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, like, they have to note how sperm functions in this time travel. That, like, the randomness of one particular sperm finding an egg makes a unique child, and (laughs) that's why you can't time travel before you've had a child or else, like... even think 
about that while I was well, in the concept of this movie, and the movie made no, me think about that. It's not. It's not a. <laughs> bad notion exactly but like so it, that comes into play when he goes back he wants to make sure that his sister doesn't have this life of sort of going for the wrong men and then ultimately she ends up in a car crash and her life is sort of in shambles and again i think that is an underrated moment of donald gleason's character learning that you can't manipulate your way out of everything and that at some point you have to sort of yeah. play it as it lays essentially but uh, he goes back, he fiddles with time, brings Kit Kat back, which again, as Chris has said, was not established up until that point in that movie. Um, but they change things and then he goes back and then his daughter is now his son. Now, two things. One of them is when they return from going back in time and they're in the cupboard again, all of a sudden Kit Kat's in love with Doofy, um, his friend. Oh, God. His friend who like, he doesn't Jay. like any of his friends. His <laughs> friends are all terrible yes. and he... Like, it's just one of the terrible friends. <laughs> right. But so all of a sudden, when they get back into the cupboard, she's like, Jay. And he's like, wow, really? And like, all of a sudden now, emotionally, she's feeling this thing because like, she's now in love with Jay because the version of her is, that is in this timeline has fallen in love with Jay. So A, my question is, wouldn't that have also happened to Tim that all of a sudden he would be like, I have a son. I love my son. Like, A. B, I get why that doesn't happen for the movie, because like, as a viewer, we would not accept that and like that and like that's fine my question is when he finds out that that happened and that was a big no-no and his dad's like yeah you can't do that then they go back again and like reset things but like you can't get like that random sperm to like go back and like even going back wouldn't that's true. Have fixed the fact that, that he problem. gets that child back i know it is weird. that doesn't make any sense either like the chaos element all of a sudden like you can't that doesn't work that way. So, like, also, yeah. like, it does fall apart. Eventually, not that I care, but while it does. he's going back <laughs> to see his dad, like, across lots of time, not like that day he's going to go back and see his dad, but like he's reliving years of his own life, keeping in mind that, like, there are very specific rules about sperm in this time travel plot, yet he doesn't age irregularly even though he's reliving several years but also he has to like remember years worth of daily life that he has to yeah. completely replicate it does seem like it would be a I lot to keep track what I have of for breakfast it does yeah. but i think that's part of the reason why at one point his dad's just like i just use it to read a lot and it's just like you would have to almost do that it was just like i only go back in time to go in my little study and just read yeah. all the books and like i guess oh, i would do that, that for like great yeah because like yeah. i don't have time to read but like i guess that's the only thing the only way i'd ever be able to do that is like when do i read books is i go my into my little nook and go I like back this in last time. excuse for us being like illiterate, being like, I literally need to be a time traveler to be able to make these. <laughs> I don't know how anybody else reads books. Do you know these people who either. like tweet this thing about like, these are the 10 books I've read this month. And I'm like, motherfucker. I like, have no idea. I don't, don't understand. They don't watch movies. They don't they don't watch watch movies and they probably, they probably say have Twitter. Mm. No, it's not just that they don't watch movies is they don't watch TV. They can't watch TV as much. It's just they like, they, they, they don't watch that much TV. And I still don't read yeah. <laughs> recording podcasts know, guys man. that's what's doing yeah, us in that's a lot. can I ask a question about Kit Kat and her boyfriend please I didn't realize that that boyfriend was like 
around until all of a sudden he shows up at the party and he's yeah. like, I need to stop you from meeting this guy. And I'm like, oh, what? He's been the thing that's <laughs> right. causing this problem? Like, because he's like in the background of a bunch of scenes, but like they have this house where there's always people like around at the party. You're like, okay, you're just there. And I was really thrown by him supposing to be like a fulcrum of her life. It's and absolutely I did not, catch that not at all. a problem until it needs to be where sure. the story is going at that moment. Yeah. 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 Well, he listened to Mr. Brightside. That's where it all went yeah. wrong. He was coming out of his cage and not doing just fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'm going to kill you. Um, all right. Bill Nye, AARP, supporting actor nominee. Uh, we have talked about this before because Steve Carell for The Way Way Back was also nominated, which like, whatever. Weird. Uh, John Goodman's nominated for Inside Lewin Davis. Katie, I want you to guess the winner <laughs> and also who the fifth nominee is. So the winner in this is from an ensemble film that was an adaptation of a stage play with... Um, August Osage County? Yeah, but who from August Osage County? Oh, boy. Supporting actor we're talking about. Yeah. They didn't make it Sam Shepard, did they? No, but it's like, it's... Cumberbatch? No. You have to be over 50 to be nominated. Chris Cooper. Chris Cooper. Yep. He's one of the better performances in the movie. But, like, you don't watch that movie and just be like, I, I gotta nominate Chris Cooper. I'm struggling to remember what he does in that movie. Exactly. Exactly. So the fifth nominee in this one is... Some wild shit. It's some wild <laughs> shit. Definitely TV star who was in a movie for probably the first time in a, a decades. Um was the dad to the main character who was the actor-director of the movie. Oh, my God. I got stuck on Brian Cranston, but I don't think it's Brian Cranston. No, TV star from long before Brian Cranston. 80s TV star. Old school school TV star in a movie with someone who was the writer-director of the movie. Writer-director star. Writer-director star of the movie. Did that movie get any Oscar buzz at all? Yes. It did at Sundance, for sure. Oh. Oh, my God. And it got supporting actress buzz for an actress who was also getting a weird kind of buzz for a voice performance that same year. Oh, I was thinking of Grandma Lily Tomlin, but it's not that. Not Grandma. No, it was like... Oh, God. I'm really twisted up. Oh, like, we can't nominate somebody who's just a voice. Like, it wasn't even an animated movie. It was like... Oh. Oh, oh. So that was her. Right. That was Scarlett Okay, Okay, hang on, hang on. Okay. So Scarlett Johansson is in the movie that this AARP person is nominated yes, for. Yes, and was get, she got a little bit of supporting actress buzz for this movie as well. Is it Don John? Yes. It is. Who's the dad in Don John? I have no clue. 80s sitcom star, <laughs> where in the opening credits of the sitcom, he is vacuuming the curtains of a rich lady's house. Oh. Is it like Mr. Belvedere or something? No. A rich lady who he would eventually fall in love with. Oh, oh, is it? Oh, it's Tony Danza. It's Tony Danza. Oh my God. Our friend Mr. Tony Danza. Anthony Danza. Danza. I, yes. f- I, I hated Don John. I feel like Tony Danza was okay in it. Yeah, he was fine. I think Scarlett Johansson was great in it, but we made. So you really more. twisted my brain in knots, like getting Scarlett Johansson and her backwards to Don John. Uh, anyway, I saw that at Sundance though. Oh, also nominated in Supporting Actress was not Scarlett Johansson, but Julianne Moore from Don John. Yep. I don't remember her being in that at all. She and, and uh, Joseph She's Gordon-Levitt the, uh, have a little relationship. Yeah. That, uh, she teaches, teaches him through. humanity by um, sleeping with him. I mean, all blessings upon Julianne Moore, I think, as we all know. But like the <laughs> yes. early 2010s, like she has like Still Alice in the middle and then like a 
Well, this was like the last movie essentially before she did Still Alice. So it was really just like, oh, we should like be like happy that you got this lead role in something instead yeah, of Yeah, but just, then like, she goes on to make Free Hell. I knew you were going like, to mention Free Hell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I got a lot of grudges against Free Hell. Katie, and the Hunger we Games need to do a Free Hell episode. Too. The lasting that- legacy of Free Held. Is... Do you want to spoil it before we do our Freeheld episode in a year? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just going to say that the lasting legacy of Freeheld is that the part, the Vanity Fair party for Freeheld at TIFF is where Katie introduced me to Brie Larson. And, and there's, a, there's a photo of us on Getty. And we got a Getty image that credits Brie Larson, uh, uh, film writer Joe Reed, and guest. <laughs> Which is the opposite of how it was. Like, yeah, I was I was the guest. Trust me. Oh, oh boy. I'm so glad that moment was immortalized, though. <laughs> All right. Do we want to, like, uh, have any stray thoughts about About Time before we shuffle we on We should definitely talk about uh, Rachel McAdams a little bit. We should. Yeah. Um, I don't think we've done a Rachel McAdams movie, have we? Please hold. She's had a lot of this had Oscar buzz movies. She has. Made, I, you I've know what's lists. strange, though? And I guess I didn't even realize this until I was doing my research for this episode. She's made four movies since being Oscar nominated, and one of them is Doctor Strange. Four movies. And one of them is Game Night, which is a classic. And another one of them is Eurovision. (laughs) It sure is. And this is our baby. I feel like she's like a relatively new mom. Like she got her Oscar nomination for Spotlight and then was like, peace. Well, I also think like leading up to Spotlight and maybe even leading up to this movie and maybe this movie was sort of like the beginning of where like the ship started to turn on. But like there was a while there where it was just thankless movie after thankless movie and or like thankless role. Like she it seemed like there was like an entire three year span where like the time traveler's wife was happening and it just like never showed up. And then all of a sudden it did like arrive, but like not really. And I don't know. It was just like, there was just like, there would seem like there was a wilderness for her deep career for like a while. She was, she had like the bad luck to be like in Aloha and Southpaw. Like that's, yes, that's the thing is she was just like taking these. All right. Now I'm going to go into and the second season of true detective, which, She's good in, but again, it's the second season of True Detective. And that should have been a good idea. Like, none of these are bad choices. So, all right. So. Have you guys not done a Morning Glory episode? I was going to say, this is our third Rachel McAdams. Mm -hmm. Morning Glory and one other one, Chris, if you can think of it. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, we could do a ton more because we could do Aloha. We could do It was with one of the stars of of Morning Glory. Uh, Oh, duh. Family Stone. Diane Keaton. Oh, yeah. Diane Keaton and uh, so Family Stone is from her glory, like 2004, 2005. Like, mm-hmm. You can't ask for a better run than that. So Rachel McAdams, starting with like Mean Girls, when like Mean Girls launched her essentially, and then uh, Wedding Crashers kind of like leveled her up to like she's the lead, female lead of a big money making movie, right? Same with yeah. Notebook too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So That's she's in the Neil Berger movie, The Lucky Ones, which I was like, I had Oscar buzz for that movie if nobody else did, because it was yeah. like, it was his follow up to The Illusionist, which was like a surprise Oscar nominee. And it's about, uh, you know, soldiers uh, around the Iraq war. That was when like, those movies couldn't get arrested. And this movie barely got released and whatever. It's her and Tim Robbins and Michael Pena. And it's fine. But it again, barely got a release, as did The Time Traveler's Wife. She's in State of Play, the Kevin McDonald uh, remake of the British miniseries State of Play, and she's 
good in it, but like nothing came of that, right? That's Russell Crowe. That was a movie that was originally like a a Thanksgiving movie that got pushed to April. It was like the next spring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then one of the other sort of pits she falls into is the Sherlock Holmes movies where good luck trying to get any oxygen in those movies with Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law sort of like hamming it up like crazy in those. Is she not even in the second one? She's in the credits for the second one. I don't know how much she's in it. She could be like the Elizabeth Hurley in uh, Spider yeah. Shag Me of that movie. But yeah. um, who knows? Morning Glory, as we said. Also, another thankless role, the female lead in Midnight in Paris, which is mm-hmm. a big Oscar success, but she's the worst. She's not. Yeah, she's she, it's not her fault, but like sh- her yeah. character is the worst part of that movie. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, to the Wonder, which is another movie that takes forever. To the, to the walls. Thank you. Takes forever <laughs> to show up. And like when it does. Nobody cares. Passion, which is Brian De Palma's Passion, which is wild as fuck, but like <laughs> that movie is nuts. I watched it for the first time this year. Rachel McAdams is like, I don't know if she should try to be a camp performer, but she's trying. She tries. <laughs> she goes for it, and then there was Nuni that Rapaz, uh, maybe tries and does not. Um, it, uh, yeah, watch. There Passion, was that guys. triptych nuts. of movies that was like Brian De Palma's Passion. Um, Neil Jordan's Chloe and um, Adore, uh, Robin Wright, Naomi Watts. Thank you. That movie. That like those three <laughs> movies happened within like two or three years of each other, and we're all just like, let's take two female stars, either make them like overtly uh romantic and sexual with each other, or like sort of like implied or whatever, and see what happens and like nothing nothing became of it uh she's in that movie the vow the romantic drama the vow with channing tatum which which made a bunch of money i only remember for channing tatum's butt but you know yeah i remember liking it it's fine i think that had did that have something to do with um uh nicholas sparks is that a nicholas sparks thing at all no i don't think so i think it just has those vibes i think it definitely had those vibes um Sorry, now I got to go back. About time in 2013, A Most Wanted Man, the Anton Corbain movie, A Most Wanted Man, which is a good movie, but again, nobody really saw it. Um, it Aloha. It came after uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman died, so it's like he's the whole story, but like right. Rachel McAdams is the worst part of that movie, unfortunately. As KB mentioned, Aloha and Southpaw in the same year, that was also the same year that she got her Oscar nomination finally for Spotlight. So, like, truly, what a 2015 it was for Rachel McAdams. And then I think then, like, it starts to rebound. Like, Doctor Strange is a thoroughly thankless role in whatever, but she's in a movie that makes a ton of money, so good for her. And then, like, she's great in Disobedience. She's great in Game Night, in, like, a perfect role for her that, like, gets attention and she's wonderful in. I think she's really funny in Eurovision. Like, I think definitely mm-hmm. think things are looking up, which is the perfect time for Sherlock Holmes three to come out with. It's her kind of it. good for her to have aged out of like ingenuity things because like she's mm-hmm. in Mean Girls and she's like twenty six. Yes, so she was old already to be in a high school movie, yes. and it just put her in a weird spot. I a I think time, about I think. that a lot. Of like, imagine being Rachel McAdams in Mean Girls with Lindsay Lohan, who is super young making that movie and amanda seyfried amanda seyfried's like 15 in that movie but not even just like Lindsay lohan being young but like Lindsay lohan being young and like going through all the Lindsay lohan stuff that she was going through at the time and just like yeah i can't imagine i like i imagine just like there's got to be something where rachel mcadams is just like 
what am I, what what's happening here? Like it all turned out well for yeah. her, but just like I just imagine yeah. like you would have to have a lot of patience to put up with whatever circus was sort of revolving around Lindsay Lohan at that yeah. time. And Rachel McAdams always has that like Canadian head on her shoulders thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like she dated Michael Sheen for a long time. She sure did. It's a good look for her. Like she's always seemed like someone you could like level with if you ever like you had a conversation with her. I just imagine the idea of like Lindsay Lohan coming up to Rachel McAdams on the set of Mean Girls and like bitching to her about Hillary Duff and like whatever. And it's just like Rachel McAdams <laughs> being like I don't care, hon. Like, whatever. (laughs) Like, I don't, I can't, I can't be bothered. Um, Yeah, but like, there's that whole story about how she and Ryan Gosling didn't really like each other while they were filming The Notebook, and then they got together after the fact. That is still kind of a relationship. You know how everybody's like Gaga for Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston getting back together? They're sort of my version of that. Yeah. My version of that was Reese Witherspoon and Ryan Phillippe, and now, like, there's bad things about Ryan Phillippe, so I guess I don't want that anymore. But, like, whatever um what else about about time i'm still thinking about other celebrity breakups that i'm taking personally. we haven't mentioned the uh tom hollander's character as the oh yeah discontented playwright who shows up which i adore tom hollander of course again uh stealth anna karenina reunion of donald gleason and tom hollander who maybe don't share a scene in anna karenina but they're both fantastic in that Everyone no way not tom hollander i'm maybe tom hollander no, it's is tom hollander is it? He's I mentioned him in the no. I mentioned him in the recap and called him Tom Holland, which is something I very much remember <laughs> the difference between the two. But I can never quite remember which one is the er and which one isn't. Anyway, I know who Tom Hollander is. I may be confusing him with Matthew McFadden's character in Anna Karenina, but now I want to look up and make That's sure that Tom quite Hollander. Possible. They're both. They're both in it. Aren't they're they? both in it. Okay, that was what they're I wanted. They're both in uh, Pride and Prejudice. Both in Pride so and Prejudice. So it's I, conceivable. Tom Hollander's been in most. He'll of, like, just show all of a sudden, like you don't realize how many things you've seen him in, and all of a sudden. He'll oh just God, be a Anna Karenin is something. Anna Karenin is one of those movies that lists the cast on IMDb in the order that they appeared on the uh. screen, which should be. He, it is not showing up in his IMDb, so I guess maybe he. Yeah, he was filming something. Else. I think I was I was uh, putting his character uh, him in the place of uh, Matthew McFadden's character, who is also fantastic in that. We can credit him for being amazing in Hannah, which is yeah. one of my favorite performances in anything. We could also but, mention that Tom Hollander's play, which is apparently supposed this is to be what a I was masterpiece, even though it looks like a piece of dog shit legal yes. thing I think that's stage. a funny joke though because like the like the line that gets everyone to clap is like the title of the play or something where, like, <laughs> this is all guilty yeah. man or whatever it British is British theater funny. audiences which are notoriously unresponsive they give a standing <laughs> ovation before the end of the play um, but the stars of Tom Hollander's play yes. are Richard Griffiths and Richard E. Grant God bless. So between it. between them and Richard Curtis, like, is there a British Richard who got left out? Who feel <laughs> bad for because like that's, I mean, I like it's kind of the same with Tom Holland, Tom Hollander. I know the difference between Richard Griffiths and Richard E. Grant, but like if I see the name on a list, I'll be like, okay, which one is that yeah. going to be? Like, <laughs> well, Richard Harris was dead on, at this point, so I guess he couldn't. That's have been true. In that, and Richard but, uh, Burton was dead at this point. <laughs> right. Too. Right. Uh, well, but yeah, see, when I realized that was the two uh, of them, Richard Lawson is British. Oh, but yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, secretly British. Um, yeah. No, when I realized that was the two of them on stage, I was like, oh, this is, I don't know if it's supposed to be a good joke, but I think it's a good joke. Up until this point, too, I'm pretty sure that Rowan Atkinson had been in all of Richard Curtis's movies. So it's kind of surprising that he wasn't one of the two of them in that scene. 
Um, even though he would have like, as he always does, sort of like stick out like a like a sore thumb. Um, yeah, but like Richard, e, like is Richard E. Grant has he been in something else from Richard Curtis? Like, how did he wind up in that? For I mean, I feel like England's a small place, right? Like, I'm sure yeah, they all just all sort of like, and Richard E. Grant's been around forever, and as has Richard Griffiths. This that was Richard Griffiths' crazy, last though, because Richard E. Grant has to have done something that Richard well, uh, that uh, Curtis touched. I can look that up on IMDb. You guys talk about how this was Richard Griffith's last. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Last film credit. Oh wow, yeah. man! Yeah, yeah I realize that. I mean, he's he's good in a in this funny like side plot because like the Tom like Tom Hollander can do whatever he wants, but like his character is like gruff and mean in a way that doesn't develop at any point. Like yeah. it's kind of a punchline. You're like, why are you so hostile from the very beginning? Like, it's funny, but it's like sort of a sideshow but right. if you're i guess if you're going to do that you may as well get richard e grant and richard griffiths on stage together yeah this uh, is the only uh film credit that the two richard e grant and richard curtis curtis have together that's odd. maybe he was just like at a sh- doing a show at the old vic or whatever this was at the time that's the thing like, yeah, it's just, just like you got a dressing room they had go. a set and they had these costumes they were in some terrible uh <laughs> law drama on stage it's like yeah. it's like england small and like they're all basically in london in that country so like honestly just like <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this is why Cornwall has been fascinating me because it's like really the fuck out there. Didn't know that. Yeah, the other thing about Richard Curtis's IMDb as I look at it is just like the only thing that's upcoming for him is he's got a screenplay credit on one of apparently the eight billion Little Mermaid adaptations that are out there, and I don't know whether I don't know what one this is, but he's got a uh, Little Mermaid screenplay adaptation that is announced. So that's essentially been like someone mentioned it at some point and but like otherwise nothing and like did you guys see yesterday oh right yesterday no i never did i hear some terrible things about it i hear like i don't know i feel like there was a round of terrible things and like a bunch of people who've watched it on planes have been kinder to it so like maybe that's the Mm -hmm. the spirit in which like maybe when we're all in this vulnerable (laughs) pandemic place yesterday is finally (laughs) ready for us that's another movie. It's so funny when like you think like he makes this movie about time where it's like there's time travel, but he doesn't really like care about the particulars of it. And it's just like then he goes and writes another movie that is also about just like fucking with the fat fabric of time in a way that like doesn't seem like it would hold up. I don't know. Um, yeah. Maybe it does. That's Danny Boyle directed that, right? Mm-hmm. Danny Boyle, Richard Curtis, like teaming up. You would think like I would be so into that. And yet like I, I was just not interested. I don't know. I heard right. what like the big final twist of that movie is, and it made me uh, just like <laughs> drop all expression Wait. from my face and body. Do I? I kind of want to know what this is. Katie, do you care? Oh no! I, I think Anybody I listening who doesn't want to know the the end of <laughs> yesterday, just like fast forward like five minutes. Let me look it up on the Wikipedia because if it's what I remember, what I think it is, it's so stupid. Um, yeah, I, I I think it is that he goes and finds John Lennon, who's still alive. Like, living, oh living God, no! But John Lennon's ends, still alive is the twist. But doesn't it end with like a Harry Potter punchline, basically? That oh, like, it does. Instead it does. of him writing all of the songs for the Beatles, he's gonna go and write Harry Potter. Which honestly, at this point, we would. I was gonna like say that's that the happy ending. <laughs> Oh, yeah, cut out J.K. Rowling from uh, the history books. I think that would be fine. 
Um, I don't know what I would do if I could uh, change time, but if I could uh, somehow just get a billion dollars, I would um, disavow all public speaking ever in my life. (laughs) No one can have a uh, public uh, opinion about things. I agree. Yes. Not a bad idea. All right. Um, Wrapping up about time, I just want to say we've sort of picked this movie apart for good and bad. I just want to affirm that I love this movie and it makes me cry. That's all. It's just, I love it so much. We affirm your tears, dear. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I think we, we're, we're all finding what makes us cry these days, and all of us need to feel our emotions. Uh, I, 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 this movie, I don't even have the pandemic excuse, because like, it was happening long before. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, my God. The part at the end, I'm just going to say, where Donald Gleason says, my dad, and his voice breaks, it's just too much for me and i can't okay anyway. yeah and when they try and travel back and go like play on the beach together when they're kids like <sighs> that among beach us. it's uh, it's just it's so much it's so much i love it <laughs> i love it so much i love you richard curtis okay um do we want to play the imdb game yeah, yeah chris let's do it. would would you like to read the rules of the imdb game totally since uh was it last week i just overrode you and just read them for steam you steamrolled on over uh, i was fine with it that was fine <laughs> Uh, listen, every week, regardless who uh, does our copy, uh, we end our episodes <laughs> with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of these titles are television or voiceover work, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough. We all go back in time and recorrect <laughs> our answers um, so that we can get a perfect score. Excellent. Thank or you, Chris. Or it just Chris. becomes a free-for-all of hints if we uh, can't travel time. Because that's not part of our um, genetic DNA. Right. Uh, Again, we don't want to uh, uh, go back and, and have one of us well, be Well, I'm a not a man, person. so I can't time travel. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Listen, gender is a social construct, and this movie would have been a lot better if it realized that. <laughs> so, yes. Okay. Katie, would you like to give first guess first or watch the two of us uh duke it out first. i'm gonna give first all right i i have mine in mind and hopefully you guys haven't done it before and would you like to give to me or to chris oh i don't care do you guys have a preference joe no. do you have a preference for what you want to do why don't uh you give to chris chris gives to me and i will give to you how about that okay. all right all right chris Inspired by Vanessa Kirby, possible future Best Actress nominee this year, not for uh, about time. I'm giving you Claire Foy, (laughs) and one of them is television. And that is The Crown. Yes. Um, uh, Then First Man. Uh, I forgot to pull up her IMDb before I started. (laughs) I'm pretty sure you're right. (laughs) I checked it before I picked her, and then I closed the tab. Yes, First Man. Okay. Um, Unsane. Yes. Wow. Okay. Good pull. Is that Soder- that's Soderbergh, right? It's Soderbergh shooting on iPhones that uh, have been like left out in the rain. Yeah. 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 Someone smashed the camera and the frame. Uh, okay. So I have three out of four for Claire Foy. Yeah. Good no work. wrong guesses. I maybe don't remember another <laughs> thing. Say, you've in. maybe now run out of Claire Foy movies. Uh, I mean, they're all going to be semi recent. Um, yeah. The hell was she in? She's definitely in a costume. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Wasn't she, was she a lesbian in a movie? <laughs> I, um, hmm. I like that as a way to try to figure something out, though. <laughs> uh, okay, Claire Foy. I have to at least, like, throw some things out there. But I am legitimately stumped on anything else that she's been in. It's what hard. Was she There's not in a lot of choices. Before the crown. I feel like there was something. Um There was. Actually it, more than I realize. But not that much. Interesting. She's done a lot of British television, which yeah, is not That's not this. the answer. Yeah. Um I'm gonna see, I think there is something that's at the very like back recesses of my brain that I know exists that is American from an American filmmaker. She was in an enterprise that I think you would be surprised that you have totally forgotten that, um, that they tried to make a go of. Again. And it's in fact not an American filmmaker, but right. an American studio project. Okay. Yeah. But it's a franchise. It's from like a TV show or um, a book. A oh, franchise okay. that originated with a book. Book. And, and it's had not been... like the Lincoln Lawyer. No. Uh, oh, no, 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 of... no. I know what it is. It's a uh, Girl Caught in the Spider's Web. Very close she to Girl in the Spider's Salad. Web. That yes. is really impressive. I definitely forgot that movie. Because existed. she still has her first man hair in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it's supposed to be edgy. And it's like, no, it's, it's still pretty... Um, not what did, a thankless role did you know that claire Boy. foy and matt smith her co-star from the crown are in a movie that screened in london in june called lungs from the director of pride that is a how do i know about this apocalyptic seemingly uh dramedy the logline for this movie is the ice caps are melting there's overpopulation political unrest everything's going to hell in a handcart why on earth would someone bring a baby into this world <laughs> why on earth would somebody be watching this movie right now but it's matthew uh, yeah. Workus, the director of pride so i'm willing to give it a shot oh no isn't that wasn't this Maybe I'm wrong, but wasn't that like National Theater Live or filmed theater? Oh, it very well could be. That makes sense. Because I know that Claire Foy did like a two person yeah. show. It was that a live, broadcast. it was an old Vic thing. There we go. They yeah. broadcast in June. There we go. All right. Um, good job, Chris. Nice. Yeah. All right. Give me what you got. Uh, okay. So, Joseph. Yes. For you. I have the one, the only, co-star of Donald Gleason, Mr. Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac. Have we never done Oscar Isaac before? Okay. I don't believe we have. All right. Well, he's in a lot of different stuff. Okay. Well, the film that he co-starred with Donald Gleason is Ex Machina, so I'm going to start with that. Ex Machina, correct. I cannot believe the, that is the well. I like this spoiler. <laughs> the dance moves. The dance moves. Yes. Love that movie. Okay. Um, Inside Lewin Davis. Inside Lewin Davis. Okay. Um. Oh. It's not that terrible. Uh, movie that I saw at TIFF a couple years ago where he um, 
you know, the big ensemble movie from the guy who does This Is Us. Um, Have you guys not done that an episode on that one? No. What is it called? Life. Life Listen. itself. Life itself. Life itself. Listen, once again, we have not done an episode on that. If listeners want it, they can vote for it. And that's for the on next there? Week. Is, that, is that one of them? It, no. It okay. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so that's one wrong guess. <laughs> All right. You have two right guesses so Okay. Far. It's not going to be W.E. It's not going to be um, Drive. And nothing W-E, is... W.E., unfortunately, we can't talk about on this podcast... <laughs> A movie where Abby Cornish follows, like, Oscar Isaac or someone else and is like, why won't you have sex with me? <laughs> that movie nominated for something? Costumes. Yeah. Wow. Though not uh, the song, the Madonna song. <laughs> Masterpiece. God. Was it that Elton John beat her at the Globes and was, like, gloating about it because he thought the song no, was so Madonna bad? No, Madonna won the Globe. And he was so ang- he was angry about it. Right. That's yes. how I know that Andrea Riseborough is pronounced Andrea. <laughs> or is that just how Madonna pronounces her name? Like, that's... Which I... means that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> that's... If Madonna says if so... If that's, that's how Madonna says. <laughs> okay. Um... All right. Oscar Isaac. So not television. So not that um, uh, show me a hero... That I loved. Um, I should watch that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac. Um, uh, Most Violent Year. Yes. Okay. Wow. One more? A movie we could do. And uh, he's great in that. Uh, One more. Yes. One more. Okay. All right. Oscar Isaac... What has he been in real recently? Um, I guess say IMDb does him a oh, favor on something. Oh, is it Annihilation? It is not Annihilation. Dang. Uh, what movie did you guess, Joe? Annihilation. What was that? Annihilation. Annihilation. Jennifer Jason Leigh. Annihilation. Annihilation. Your year is 2015. Okay, big Rachel McAdams year as uh, as <laughs> most famous mentioned. for being a big year for Rachel McAdams. Yes. Wait, he's not in Southpaw, is he? He's not in Southpaw, but it is a movie that we've mentioned on this very episode. It is indeed. Oh God. Okay. You are going to be pissed off. Mm-hmm. Is it one of the Rachel McAdams movies that no. we talked about? No. But it is a movie also featuring someone who is in About Time. Okay. 2015, The Revenant? No, he's not in The Revenant. No, no but you're barking up the right tree. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. What kind of tree would I be barking up that The Revenant is barking you up? You might be barking up a tree from a long time ago. <laughs> and not of this earth. Uh, perhaps far, far away. Oh, God. 2015. Joe. Joe, far, far away. A long time ago. Oh my God! Fucking Star Wars! <laughs> Jesus Christ! Uh, which Star Wars? Absolute uh, 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 Force Awakens. Um, the good one. Um, <laughs> oh, the Last Jedi is a good one. No, Force Force Awakens is better than Last Jedi. That's my controversial opinion. Everybody else uh, can eat it. Okay. I'm with you, Joe. Podcast canceled. Um, um, I totally, absolutely, all the time forget that he's in those movies. That's such a bummer because he's. Those it is such a bummer. He's great in those, in those, but like movies. I absolutely, I remember Adam Driver and and Donald Gleason essentially, and like and the whole thing where like boys on the internet hate Daisy Ridley for stupid reasons. Like that's basically <laughs> what I remember about those movies. BB-8. 
BB-8 We were all in love with BB-8 in 2015. Didn't we love BB-8? Fish nuns. I just loved that that movie was a reunion for Oscar Isaac and Donald Gleason and Oscar Isaac and Adam Driver. Yeah. He's just just bringing them all back. It's true. It's very true. Okay. Outer space. (laughs) (laughs) Joe, what do you have for Katie? You're giving me so many sound drops. I'm going to have to throw in here now. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) I love it. Sound drop champion. Okay, so... I went into the Richard Curtis filmography, of course. We are about to enter the Christmas season. If we're not already in it, I am literally seconds away from putting up my Christmas decorations just oh, because. Yeah. Because, like, uh-huh. I need something right now. And yeah, Thanksgiving no, is not going to literally no reason. November 1st early. is Wrapped in Red season. November yeah. 1st is These Are Special Times season. I Did literally... we see that video of, like, a haunted house door opening to reveal Mariah Carey in a closet full of snow? <laughs> being like, it's time. <laughs> I, my mom and I were trying to make the case to my dad that we should just put up the Christmas decorations. And he's sort of like unsure unsold on it and eventually the both of us were just like no one's gonna see him but us like who cares cares. at this point just like give yourself a gift no one's entering this house for the next several months so why don't we just like enjoy ourselves anyway christmas classic love actually of the many stars of love actually um one whose character displeases me but in a storyline that i really enjoy uh, unfaithful husband of Emma Thompson, Alan Rickman. Ooh. So, Katie, give me the known for for Alan Rickman. No oh, television, wow. no voiceover. Okay. okay. The the trick is how many Harry Potters. I am assuming it's not all Harry Potters. It's not. I wouldn't would not have done have it if it was all Harry Potters. Yeah. Oh. Uh. Deathly Hallows Part Two. Correct. Okay, well, that's his big death scene. It's the only Harry Potter one. That's where, that's the clue I will give you. Okay, it's the only okay, Harry okay, Potter, great. Deathly great. Hallows Part 2. I'm very impressed that of eight movies, you picked the right one. Very good. I mean, that's the <laughs> one where he has like the big like moment where he reveals that he's been the it's good true. guy all along. He's it's probably true. highest build in that movie of all of the Harry Potter. God, can you imagine what a mess the billing of the Harry Potter movies is? Yeah, right. Um, Sense and Sensibility. No. Incorrect. Strike Ooh. one. Yikes. Uh, Love Actually? No, strike two. All right, so now you're going to get years. Your years are 1988, 1991, and 2007. 88 is Die Hard. 88 is Die Hard. Very good. Alan Rickman, the king of Christmas. Yes, exactly. Really? Wow. 1991. Oh, Katie, you're breaking my heart. 1991 is a film that Chris and I both love. Um, where he's the villain, and the the he won a BAFTA for it. Did he really oh. win a BAFTA? Good, he deserved it. Yeah, he girl, great. he won a BAFTA for it. That's a great call. I think it's wow. a great call. This is a um, this is a property that has been done and uh, a lot. It's been sort of uh, done and redone and redone again. It's um, not what you do about nothing. That no, less, the less literary. Text. This is the definitive uh, version of this movie that's had a million versions, even in the past like five years. But it is literary, or it is not? Uh, I'm sure there's legendary. some literary version so this of this, is... but like it's. it's, more oh, it's oh, 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 it's Robin Hood. Yeah, it's yeah. Robin Hood. It's Robin Hood, yeah. Prince of Thieves. Prince Alan of Thieves. Rickman, King of Christmas, 
one of his lines in that movie is and cancel and Christmas. cancel Christmas. That's right. Wow. He, I did not know you guys were hardcore Prince of Thieves. Fans. I love this Hell movie. Hell yeah. I love this movie. We in my in my band in or in my band in band in high school. <laughs> to be very clear, I, played I was Katie about French to be horn. very interested <laughs> in the rest was of that in a Brian Adams cover. Band. Oh my god. I would I, love I played, it. The French Horn, which is not in any cool bands, uh, but we would play the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, Prince of Thieves theme song, which was super hard but very fun to play. The score for that movie, I can never remember who does the score for that movie. It's maybe Michael Kamen, G- James Horner. Um, it's so good, and there's just like an entire like opening credit set to it, and. Do yourselves a favor, everybody listening. If like, go watch Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, or failing that, just listen to the score. It's so good. Okay, that's that's a strong movie from my childhood. Okay, two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. Almost certainly a movie I had seen. This is like in the peak of Potter era. Yes. Um, I need another hand, probably. It was a Oscar nominee for Best Actor and oh. a Golden Globe winner for, I believe, Best Actor and Best Picture, Musical or Comedy. I'm pretty sure. Mm, I'll double check you on that. <laughs> this was, was of course, Golden, it's 2007. Wasn't the Golden Globe winner that year? <laughs> no, unfortunately, this was of course the, the lost. Not far off, Katie. It's the lost Golden Globes where it wasn't. There wasn't a ceremony right. because of the writers' strike. Right. So it's tougher so the to remember. Year, the No Country Year, the Juno wow, Year, Joe, you're none right, of which he is in. It did win, right? Better. Actor and mm-hmm. and picture. And um, best actor from nominee. a director who I love, but who at this point in his career had started making um, really kind of samey big blockbusters, but this one... This is his last good movie. This is kind of his last good movie, yeah. Boy. Samey big blockbusters. is a Best Actor nominee. And when I say it won the Golden Globe for Best Picture Music... No, I didn't say comedy. More of a musical. Yeah, yeah, okay. And you guessed Hairspray. Yeah. (laughs) Not Hairspray. I saw a lot of movies that came out in 2007, and none of this is getting me to where I'm supposed to be. Is it an adaptation of a Broadway show? It is, by a very well-respected Broadway composer. Who does not get adapted for the big screen. This, I think, was the second? Oh. It's not Sondheim? Yes, it is. Oh, Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. Todd. Judge Turpin and Sweeney Todd. Yeah, he's good in Sweeney Todd. He does Johanna and well, I'd say. I feel like Mm -hmm. all of the Harry Potter actors whose IMDb's used to be exclusively just for Harry Potter movies. It's all they're like it's receding now, which is really interesting because like I looked up, I wanted to do Martin Freeman, but Martin Freeman's known for is still three Hobbit movies and. Uh, whatever the Marvel movie he's in. Um, Black Panther, I think, maybe, or something. But anyway. Yes. So it's just like, I don't understand it. Like, obviously, like, the Harry Potter movies still have a resonance that the Hobbit movies do not. And yet, poor Martin Freeman can't buy a break. And all of his... I mean, I'm sure it's better for his career that, like, he's remembered for three movies that made a ton of money. But, like... Yeah, Yeah, I'm sure he can buy a break. Yeah, but... (laughs) I want Martin him to be Freeman remembered also, for his like, character work, goddammit. He's still fully good in Black Panther 2, which like, yeah, he is. supposed to say, because he's like one of two white guys, uh, and he doesn't really matter that much in Black Panther, but he's pretty good in it. I'm surprised, actually, that he wasn't in Endgame at all. Because, like, literally everybody's in Endgame, and, like, it would have been pretty easy to just, like, you need a functionary yeah. for something. Just, like, haul uh-huh. out Martin Freeman for something. Yeah, That'd be an interesting listicle that I would read, is, like, 
the characters who got left out of Endgame. Obviously, this sh- should have been written a year and a half ago. But you know, I'm sure it exists. Um, like but like anybody that they leave out, they just say that they died in Infinity War. Sure, but I just mean like. But then they all come back. But like, what are the reasons why the funeral? Yeah, like why doesn't why isn't Lupita Nyong'o's character there at the end? We know why. Yeah, because there's there's multiple people at the funeral where you're like, who? Oh, of course. (laughs) Who would have absolutely no reason? Michelle Pfeiffer's character doesn't give a fuck about Tony Stark. Like, come on, (laughs) come on. Don't you imagine Martin Freeman was like, okay, I'll be an Endgame. You can bump up my salary to whatever. I'm sure that's why Pratt's making, and they were like, absolutely. Uh, but then if he was, then he could have been one of the people who was super, had a politician's head superimposed on his for that Avengers Endgame, uh, video that <laughs> was released on election week that broke my brain. And it's so upset. It's I so did funny. Not, I didn't think I was, it was going to be so funny. And then by Sean the time Connery Sean Connery up shows yeah, up next no, to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, my, my brain <laughs> flew out my ears. It was so funny. I was dying. Ruth well, brain. Maybe and, by the time this by the time this airs, this might be old news. But like that Saturday did feel like the day where like all comedy rules were gone and everything was funny. Everything and, was on board. <laughs> everything was optional. Nothing yeah. Could go wrong. Also, Alex Trebek died the next day, and I'm like, he would have been a perfect fit. For that video. that video, like an Enjoy. Alex Trebek, we know your next pro- quarantine project. <laughs> I'm yeah. surprised we didn't kill Alex Trebek in an episode like we killed Sean Connery. I know like we're we so we've got to be so Sean careful about all the people we talk about who end up. We can't oh, talk God. about people anymore. Well, that's all we do. Oh, all the people we've discussed here, they're all in danger. I, I, don't know. I really hope Bill Nye is doing well because <laughs> I know. I guess Alan Rickman's impervious to our. Uh, to our machinations now. Alan Rickman but... died the morning of Oscar nominations. Yeah. That's also a listicle like... because like also Heath Ledger. <laughs> Heath Ledger also died the, the morning of Oscar nominations. So it's a pretty short show. And Philip Seymour Hoffman died on Super Bowl Sunday. So like there's clearly like I don't know. I don't know if I'd call it a trend, but I don't like it one bit. Okay. Um so good. Katie Rich, we cannot thank you enough for coming back. Our Thanksgiving tradition. We yeah. we plan on keeping it for uh all the years that we're still doing this podcast. Thank you so much. I like making it an annual thing, so I'm not just constantly being like, hey guys, when am I coming on? <laughs> no, you've got a standing uh, s- date now. I'm still waiting for you to start the Patreon so I can do the exceptions episode on Australia. That's oh, the one I feel you're, like really you're locked and loaded oh, for that okay. one, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, God, I that love happen. that story. Did you see that, like, Boslerman was talking about, like, re-editing it as a Hulu series? Yeah, doing the Snyder Cut of, I... of Australia. <laughs> bring it. Bring it on. I'd rather that than the Snyder of Cut of, that we're getting, like, for sure. Yeah. Oy, all right. Oh, boy. Yeah. Chris, one more time about our listeners' choice submissions. Guys, once again, you have a week to submit your picks for our listeners' choice episode. The ones that the top four vote uh, achievers getters. If we did decide that that is a word, <laughs> top four movies uh, based on the tally uh, will be the Twitter poll that you can vote on. That you will see in early December. Uh, we will definitely let you know about it. Uh, but tweet at us at hat underscore oscar underscore buzz or email us at hatoscarbuzz at gmail.com. Thank you, Chris. And that is our episode. If you want more of This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Katie Rich, where can the listeners find you and your stuff on that great, vast uh, Sean Connery haunted internet? <laughs> Uh, I, I'm on the podcast Fighting in the War Room and Little Gold Men. 
uh, and on VanityFair.com from time to time. And I'm on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Wonderful. Chris, what about you? Uh, I am also haunting the internet with the ghost of Sean Connery um, on twitter.com at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. Also on Letterboxd under the same name. Wait, Katie, is your full name Catherine? Like Sean yes. Connery Catherine. says about Catherine Zeta-Jones? Catherine. Catherine. Not, not, no one, I don't think anyone's ever said it. Like, uh, Sean Connery one day, goes. Katie. Now one day. My, now I've missed my chance. Sean Connery's gone. Well, Listen, there's always resurrections. Okay. There's always James McAvoy with a Scottish accent. There's always that. That's true. God, if we can ever go to Toronto again, we're going to find James McAvoy and we're going to make that happen. All right. Somehow in my brain, James McAvoy is still walking down that same block that I saw him in Toronto. Honestly, and you know where I was headed? I was headed to Shoeless Joe's Sports Bar, my friends, and Mm -hmm. James McAvoy was walking in that same direction. Best bar in Toronto. All right. Uh, Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I I am on Letterboxd as Joe Reed. Reed spelled the exact same way. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. Now that includes Spotify. Woohoo, Spotify. We're yeah. on Spotify. A five-star interview in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts visibility, so please find a dark closet, clench your fists, and go back in time a few days so you'll have already uh, written us a nice review by now. That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Right the first time I am told that a lot Now I know all the wrong turns the stone